0: Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks family.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 160th episode, I believe, is that right? Yes, of Real Hawk Talk. This is Brian Nemhauser, at Hawk blogger on Twitter. This is not only a somewhat planned um, episode that we uh, decided to do earlier today because Jeff and Evan and I are pretty obsessed about what's going on with the Seahawks uh, roster and just want to geek out about that. But there is news that broke recently. So this is now officially an emergency podcast edition. And with that in mind, uh, if you guys don't already have them time to crack your beers, uh because we got a lot to cover cheers cheers mm. so and thank you by the way to bud light for this uh they sent me like a case of these i don't know if you can see this let me see if i can get it in front of the where it won't block it out there we go kind of a little bit maybe next to my face how can you get this to show <laughs> where's uh where's my shipment i uh, you know you gotta be in seattle i'd be happy to give it to you like it, it's invisible it's like an invisible can um, oh, that's funny. There we go. But uh pretty cool. Pretty cool. Uh and
0: is big. that new to this year? Or it, is it is.
1: It's new this year. Um, I saw them actually serving them in a couple uh couple restaurants. Um mm, tastes very good. So that was Evan Hill at Evan Hill HB that you heard. Evan, good to see you, dude.
0: Good to see you. We've got some uh, relevant news to talk about tonight. We do.
1: We do. We're going to jump right into that. Let me bring in uh, Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. How are you, my friend? On mute?
0: Jeff doesn't understand technology, (laughs) and we're only on episode 160.
1: (laughs) He's still on mute. I can't hear you, Jeff. I think it might be your headset. Evan's favorite thing is when (laughs) Jeff has technology problems. I
0: I just, uh, I, 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 Jeff, I appreciate your consistency. I just want to. I think the
1: only thing that Evan likes more is when I use my landline. (laughs) I cannot believe you pay for that still. Well, dude, we literally get, I'm going to show you. I have like zero bars on my phone. It's like nothing.
0: Dude. Have you not gotten one of the, are you a T-Mobile Verizon customer? What are you? Verizon. Okay. So side note. Verizon has those like cell tower things that you can connect to your router and stick in your house and it gives you full bars. Have you not tried one of those?
1: I talked to them. They say there's no such thing to to, to extend range in our area. So,
0: all right, well, I ditched the
2: headset.
1: All right, we can hear you, dude. Welcome. I the headset. Good to see you. I'm good, man. Uh so who wants to fill people in on the news? Evan, you want to you wanna read us in on what's happened tonight uh, to kind of kick things off?
0: I'm going to let Jeff, actually.
1: All right, Jeff. Yeah, you're always our news guy. What, what, uh, what's the news
2: of the night? Well, it seems that John Schneider had the same opinion of the cornerback room that we probably did. And the Seahawks made a trade tonight for a corner that a lot of people should be pretty familiar with. If they watched college football, University of Washington, the Seahawks traded a 2022 six round pick to the Jaguars for Sidney Jones. Who, Sydney Jones, was a guy I remember Brian was pretty upset they didn't take a flyer on last year when he went on waivers. And he's a guy who he had his best season of his career last year. He was a pretty big prospect coming out of UW and he got hurt. In the combine training, so he was a still a second-round pick despite that Achilles injury, and he's been uh, ascending a bit his last couple of years. But he's a really interesting body type and fits into the room pretty well. And it's a it's a great roll to dice by the Seahawks.
1: Yeah, um, I, you know who, who's probably most excited about this signing, Evan
0: William Cornell. Yeah,
1: that's, that's who I think.
0: It's funny exactly how that came is. full circle. <laughs> no, but, but, but Jeff nails it though. Like, like the, considering the compensation they gave up, which I think was a 20, 22 sixth rounder, I think, um, as reported this evening, like this is a dude who is absolutely talented. He has just struggled with injuries throughout his very short career. And, you know, some of that is luck unluckiness. You know, there's no question he has talent. I think considering the state of the depth of our cornerback group, this is a really good move.
1: Yeah. And let's put it, uh, let's put it in some context. Um, I mean, Sidney Jones is not the end all be all, you know, he's not Stefan Gilmore or something like that where, or, you know, even a Richard Sherman, if, if Sherman was healthy mentally and physically, he is a guy that's had injury problems. He's on a one-year deal. Um, and by the way, I think his contracts, I'm looking at it now, is 1.75. So uh, bit of a bit of a contract addition, but they have space for that. Um, but he's he was a first-round pick talent that went in the second because of an injury and has made plays when he's been healthy. And I think Seahawks fans have to understand that you're not easily going to just acquire Jalen Ramsey at cut down day, like that, those guys are not just readily available. And the and the truth is, is the Seahawks cornerback room is thin. Like it's, it's, it's the outside corner. I should say, I think nickel corner for the Seahawks is a great position, but the outside cornerback position is questionable. And so this is a guy that I think you have to be excited to see added to the room. This guy had more passes defensed in nine games played last year than any Seahawk corner did for the whole season. Like he had, according to Pro Football Focus, he had seven passes defensed. A lot of other official sites had him at nine. The person with the most passes defensed on the Seahawks last year, Bobby Wagner, and he had seven. So like, you know, this guy had a higher coverage grade than Shaquille Griffin. He had a higher coverage grade than DJ Reed. And I think a lot of us are pretty bullish on DJ Reed. So yeah, I think if he's healthy, this is a this is a pretty important get and something that I think we could feel pretty good about, especially if you're just talking about a six-round pick. Jeff, I mean, where does he slot in for you? Um just out of the blue, like with, with what with what you know about him, assuming he's healthy, where in the depth chart is he?
2: I think he's competing with Witherspoon right away to be left corner. And it's interesting. It seemed like if DJ Reed is healthy, it seems like he's going to be the right corner. But Trey Brown's pretty banged up. The other Reed they got from Houston, he seems more like a flyer. They just needed a body at that point. And I don't know if he's going to make the team. But it's interesting. There's certain beat writers who think this move might indicate that Trey Flowers might get cut, which surprised me. I think Greg Bell was reporting that he thinks this is going to lead to Trey Flowers getting cut. I think that's a huge stretch. I would be surprised if that happened, given how little money they've put at the position. But I think we've all seen the same thing out of Witherspoon this preseason. It's been a lot of downs and some better moments in the last game. And I think we know what Trey Flowers is at this point, although everyone's, every year we hear how he's getting so much better. Look, he looks the same to me. I think he's right in the competition to start a left corner right away.
1: I don't think it makes any sense to cut Trey Flowers. Like, the only reason you'd do that is if you needed the cap space. I mean, Evan, if correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you could – the reason I think the, the reporters are jumping at Trey Flowers is because he has a non-guaranteed contract, and you can gain a couple million bucks by cutting him. But he has absolutely been the most steady corner during the preseason. Not that that's saying a lot, but – I don't think you cut the guy who's been playing best at the position where you're already struggling.
0: Um, Yeah. So you're right. They would save a couple million by cutting. Not even really because you'd have to factor in his replacement. So they'd be saving like $1.4 million against the cap. It makes no sense without them. The group is.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, let's talk ideal for a second.
1: Let's say he's healthy. Let's say that he comes up to speed and he's playing well. Who are your top two corners that you want to see out there on the outside, Evan? Do you have a, a point of view on that?
0: It's got to be Witherspoon and Reed, I think. Um, I'm just not fully bought into Trey Flowers' development. I think he's a, a probably a career level starter, which is which is fine um, considering his draft you know his draft status. But guys. I'm probably setting myself up for expectation failure here, but I'm really hoping Witherspoon is a massive addition this year. They need him to step up in this group and, and lead those young dudes, you know, on the outside. Um, A lot rides on him this year, frankly.
1: That's interesting, Jeff. I mean, I don't know where you are on this, but. I I certainly was hopeful for Witherspoon coming in. I think he's played meaningfully better the last game and yeah i was pretty hopeful with what i saw but you know i'd be fine dj reed for me has got to be one of the guys and then i think i'd like to see sydney jones if he's healthy between the the two of them you know between him and witherspoon i'd rather see jones you know be out there so i i think this might end up being a starting cornerback i don't know What your thoughts are on that, Jeff?
2: Yeah, I said it right away. I think he goes right into the competition. And I think Witherspoon's had a pretty bad preseason to the point where they had to bring in better competition than trade flowers. And that would have been one of the worst cornerback groups in the NFL, to be honest, if they didn't make a move and still might be. But what's going on with Witherspoon is he had trouble making plays in the first couple games. And it seemed like he was giving way too much cushion. And in the last game, you start to see plays on the ball and pass breakups. And that's a huge, that's a huge turning point for them because we know what flowers is Flowers sticks with the receivers and he's always around the receiver, but he doesn't make plays on the ball. And we saw it a little from Witherspoon last game against third string receivers, but he needs to start, for him to win the job, he needs to be a lot more consistent. And that's been his issue his whole career. So if Jones can come in and play right away and be a guy who can make plays on the ball, pass, get past deflections, that would be a big help.
1: So um another bit of news about Sidney Jones, or at least some some context. I mean, he's had four interceptions in the last two seasons. Uh I'm pretty sure that would be the most interceptions of any Seahawk corner in the past two seasons, and that's without playing two full seasons. So, you know, for as many times as we've gotten really frustrated at Seahawks corners for not turning their heads, not making plays on the football, not turning the ball over, Sidney Jones isn't just a good cover guy. He's, he's been a playmaker when he's been out there. Um, so, look, the this doesn't mean that, that all problems are solved. And his Achilles injuries are real. Like, uh, from every I was trying to read up on it, but it was another Achilles injury last year that put him on IR. So, you know, this is not a guy that's played a lot of full seasons in the NFL. And I don't think you can count on him playing a full season this year. If he's finally healthy. You know, I, I think that you, you benefit. You benefit from a team, the Jaguars, that had a surplus of corners. This wasn't a guy that, like, was terrible. They just – there was rumors that they were going to trade their first-round pick uh, that was a corner because they have so many good corners. And sounds like maybe they decided instead to 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 cut bait on someone who is a veteran but had some injury history. So
0: – Ryan, doesn't it say – sorry to cut you off, but yeah, doesn't it please. say a little bit about our – the state of our cornerback group that Seattle traded a sixth round pick tonight for, you know, an excess Jag cornerback. And he might literally be one of the starters entering the season. Doesn't that reflect poorly on the depth of the group overall? Like, are like, I'm excited get- about his addition. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. is it not kind of concerning as well?
1: <laughs> well, but, but we already knew that. Like, I don't think that... But doesn't it affirm... Yeah, well, that's... All all of a sudden, the cornerback position, like, we thought it was good. Like, we already knew it was bad.
2: Yeah, and that's how I opened the show. I think they're seeing the same things we are, right? I don't think the depth is the issue. I think it's the upper echelon talent that's the issue. I don't think they have a left corner that would rank in the top 30, probably starting corners in the league. Yeah,
1: I think they have... I think DJ Reed is a starting quality corner. I do. And, and I, I absolutely I'll stick back. I think we, we, we keep oversimplifying. I think Marquise Blair could be one of the best nickel corners in football. So like we're talking talk dirty about, to me,
0: Brian, talk dirty to me, I, dude. We we're oh. going to
1: talk about Marquise Blair in a minute when we talk <laughs> about the game this past weekend. But um, I think we're really talking about one cornerback spot if we're really like i don't think dj i don't think we'd be freaking out about dj reed because he was pretty solid last year i think we were he all was. pretty pretty happy with the way he played so we're talking about who's playing opposite of him and yeah it's it's wide open you know but look evan like they traded for justin coleman you know the day before the end of uh you know the year they added DJ Reed off waivers from the 49ers and he became a good player. So I don't think it's completely like Homer, you know, you know, rose colored glasses to think that this might be a guy that could help the Seahawks and improve the position.
0: Oh, I, com- I completely agree with that. Like if I, if I'm Sidney Jones and there's any place in the NFL, I can resurrect my career in it's Seattle without question.
1: so let me ask you because we joked about will like for people that don't know so will is a is a duck university of oregon through and through in fact i would say that will probably is a bigger fan of the ducks than he is of the seahawks and he thinks that seahawks fans just most of them the the ones that are huskies uh, or at least you know northwest always just over overvalue huskies former huskies and so his point of view is that like a guy like Sidney Jones is just not that good, but we just like him cause he's a Husky. Is that a factor for you guys? Like Evan, you're a semi Husky. Um, I appreciate that designation. Semi Husky. Yeah. You're semi Husky. And I mean, I'm talking about your t-shirt size, but, but, yeah, I, I can ask. but you asshole. <laughs> I, I mean, is that, is that a factor for you? Like, continue. The fact that he's a Husky, like, is that a, like, is that part of the appeal or do you think that we're overvaluing him because he's a Husky?
0: I think maybe a little bit, but he was legitimately like really good at college. He was a second overall or a second round pick. Like he, he was talented. Like he was a playmaker, didn't have a ton of interceptions in college, but had a ton of pass breakups. And frankly, his, his downfall in the NFL has not been because of his talent. It's been due to injuries. So it's very possible he's not the same guy that he was in college. You know, like he's had two or three ACL injuries in the NFL. I think two. But, um, you know, if, if he can recover from that with, you know, all the benefits of modern medicine. Yeah. Maybe Seattle got a steal, but only time will tell.
1: Jeff, do you think they're done at the corner position?
2: Uh, for now, yeah. I think based on where the numbers are, but there could be an in-season move if things don't work. We've seen it with Dunlap. We've seen it with Quandre Diggs where they just didn't handle position groups well enough and they had to make further moves. Whereas Tedrick Thompson or Bruce Irvin and Benson Mayoa, I think for now they're going to, again, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. It's hard to just find outside corners at this point, but that Stefan Gilmore situation is still lingering. It doesn't seem solved anytime soon. And, like Arizona lost a corner, so they're going to be trying to fix their position. So there might be bidding wars in the division. So I I think for now they have the, enough bodies to get by, but I'm sure if they're not happy after four or six weeks and they can see an upgrade, we know we know it. They we, they've done it the last two years. They twa- trade for digs and trade for Dunlap. So,
1: you know, what's interesting is as much as we're wringing our hands about the corner position, which we should like, hundred uh, percent. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but. I was on, just randomly, I joined a conversation with a bunch of 49ers fans today um, about their roster and asked them what their largest position gaps are, like where their biggest concerns are. And besides quarterback, which we, you know, we can all acknowledge for them, um, is corner, you know, and uh, if... They've got two good starters, but there's not a lot behind them. And, you know, now you go to Arizona and the talk is, I don't know if it's official yet, but the talk is Malcolm Butler may retire. Uh, They've got question marks for sure at that position. Um, I think only the Rams have to feel pretty good. And even there, if I remember right, I think they're, they're nickel corner left. So I think they've got questions at nickel. So corner's a tough position, man. And I'm interested, Jeff, I think I remember you saying something earlier, but like I'm not sure this means that the guy they traded for, John Reed from Houston, is automatically out of the picture. Uh, you know, if I'm I have to pull up the roster for a second here, but um uh they would potentially gain back the seventh round pick that they
2: Yeah, it was, it was conditional on him making the team.
1: So, I mean, so
2: he could be a practice squad stash or Trey Brown could go on IR for a bit.
1: Yeah, I'm looking right now. So yeah, like they're not going to get rid of Marquise Blair, DJ Reed, Ugo Amadi, Trey Brown, like Trey Brown could go on IR, right? Um, We don't know his situation. For people that don't remember, uh, IR now is only a three-game absence. So it's not like the end of the world. So that really, it's either Trey Flowers, Witherspoon, or Reed that would go. I I think it's got to be Reed. I, I just can't see them moving on from Flowers or maybe they'd move on from Witherspoon. But that seems like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, probably makes the most sense that they move on from Reed, get the seventh round pick back. And essentially instead of a seventh round pick for Reed, they traded a six for Sydney Jones. I think. Yeah.
2: The, that's, that's, and you can maybe get Reed back on your practice club.
1: Yeah. 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 So. um All right. I mean, and, and as far as the trade compensation and you got, you guys have any concerns about like, I, I personally was really hoping it was going to be a running back. The Jaguars need a running back. I was hoping that they traded one of our surplus at running back, but
0: it's a six
2: round pick. Does that give you any pause? No. Do that trade a hundred times at a hundred.
0: It's funny. You mentioned that, Brian, can we talk about Rashad Penny for like one second?
1: Yeah.
2: Well, that's okay.
1: <laughs> I think we're going to talk about
0: him for more than a second, but go yeah, over. that's
2: an important conversation I have right now.
0: For like a straight up pick swap. What's the minimum you would take for him? I would take almost anything for him. I yeah, I would you would take, take like a 2022 20, seventh rounder.
1: Yeah, I think I would. I mean, I, I wouldn't be happy. I, I'd be I'd love to see like a fifth round pick would be would be nice. So you would
0: take anything is your answer. Well yeah, because
2: ultimately he's gonna leave in free agency anyway, and then the comp pick will probably be lower than a fifth rounder. So
1: I don't think it hurts your team this year if you have to rely on alex collins more or some of the other backs you've got
0: um i agree with you i'm just curious to know like where you draw the line with him
1: do you i mean do you have a is your is your uh, line different
0: i don't know and i'm just God, my mind is clouded because I own his jersey, and that was a (laughs) terrible mistake in my life, but...
1: I think (laughs) he's overcorrected. I really do. I don't think Penny's that bad. Like, I've made fun of him. I've called him Corey. Do you remember
0: him against the Steelers, like, two years ago? I don't know if I do. The breakaway runs he had against them. Oh, yeah. I mean, I
1: remember him against the eagles yeah and and
2: the Vikings he had a really good game against Vikings
1: the too. the Rams like he's not a bad player he like not the, at all the game that that he like cost you a, a nipple like um like he did I, you say I a nipple why, yeah he cost God you a nipple it. he cost you a nipple um so so yeah i, I why are you so like
0: down on him he just hasn't, I know he hasn't played a ton of snaps in preseason, but it's like, he just hasn't performed relative to like Alex Collins, who was showing off. I know Travis Homer hasn't really done anything in preseason either, but like this whole, this whole program's philosophy is around is built around always competing. And if we truly believe in that, if Pete Carroll truly believes in that, Is Rashad Penny not the odd man out here? Is Alex Collins not making this roster? I just have a heart. It's less about Rashad Penny to me and more about how well Alex Collins is playing.
1: You're making an either or where there
2: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Tell me more. Well, I'll jump in here. Yeah. This is one of the few benefits of BBK being injured is that Nick Ballore has moved to linebacker. And he's going to play as the he'll probably serve as a double fullback slash backup linebacker, which allows you, if you want, you can keep five running backs before you probably would have had to keep five with galore.
0: So Carson, Penny, Homer Collins. Who's Dallas. the other one? Oh, Dallas. Yeah. I think,
1: I think that's a lock unless, unless they're able to trade one of those guys. Like, the only reason that you – Jeff, I mean, tell me if you feel different. The only reason that you'd keep less than five running backs is if you felt like you needed to keep six wide receivers. Yeah. That's the position switch off. And you can't tell me – Don't I mean, I want one of you to tell me because I'd love to fight about it. But, like, do not tell me that Cody Thompson or Aaron Fuller is worth cutting an Alex Collins or – you know, a DJ, da- like, whatever, like, no way. Yeah. I mean, people are like down on Rashad Penny because he was a first round pick, and we're all annoyed about that. He's been injured a bunch. The guy's got a career average of over five yards a carry. He's been a big play back. Like, he's an outside zone runner in a scheme that is designed for outside pitch plays and stretches. This would be the absolute wrong time to cut him. Now, if you traded him and got some value, fine. But cutting him, would not only that, but it costs you $2 million in dead cap. Like, there's no way. Like, why would you do that? I, I, don't, I don't get it. Evan's looking at the cap situation because he, he wasn't aware. Yeah, and to
2: add what you said, like, I see a lot of people fighting for Cody Thompson or Aaron Fuller there is no team in the NFL that would probably pluck them if they got cut tomorrow. Those are guys you can easily put into your practice squad if you are high on them. You can keep them as, like, the ghost roster guys. Penny would get picked up, waiver claimed by multiple teams.
1: Most likely. I mean, he's just worth more. I mean, there's so many stupid GMs out there, and they value people that were first-round picks just because of first-round picks.
2: Sure. Sounds, sounds familiar.
1: Right? Well, I mean, let's talk about the guys that you you, are most likely to potentially get traded from the Seahawks. We just talked about Rashad Penny. Uh, The guy that I think, Evan, that's a former first-round pick that might not make the roster is LJ Collier. Like, I look at the numbers and I look at what they need. I'm like, Jeff, let me ask you. Would you rather, if,
2: when the roster
1: cuts get announced tomorrow, would you be happier if you saw LJ Collier's name listed as cut or Robert Chemdiche's name? Like, let me ask the other way. Which would you be happier to keep, Collier or Kemdiche if it was one of those two? Camdiche. And why?
2: Because I think he has a legitimate ceiling. And He hasn't been able to stay healthy, but I think similar to what we said about Trey Flowers, I think we sort of know what Collier is at this point. I think he's a dime a dozen player. It's especially unfortunate they took him where they did because he looks like a rotational, run-stopping defensive lineman that has no juice as a pass rusher. Those guys you can find anywhere. Max effort. Max effort. Yeah, and I was like (laughs) it's to me, I don't know if Kem DJ's is not anything, but at least he was like the number one prospect in the country. He was a five-star player, and at least, at least you know there's some upside, and a ceiling there for Collier. I don't see how anyone would be excited about him making the team, other than justifying his previous draft status.
0: So Seahawks would actually lose cap space if they cut him. Cut Collier. Um, yeah.
2: yeah, that makes sense. He's three years into the deal.
0: How much? They would lose about one million, but if they trade him, they would save about a million.
1: I, that's my question. Think that he has any trade value? <laughs> no. Really? Not even like a seventh, a former first yeah, round day, not even done with his. Like maybe a flyer.
2: Like I was looking, I saw the Jets traded for like a defensive end today, and then someone, I think it was Field Yates, tweeted out their defensive end group. It is real bad. It's real That's rough. Right. Like the Jets don't. The Jets are a rebuilding defense. They put all their picks into offense. If I, I were the Seahawks, I would try to work at a deal of Collier for one of their receivers because they have Denzel Mims who's like their sixth string receiver right now, or because they have Corey Davis, Keelan Cole. Elijah Moore and Jameson Crowder. So, they have Denzel Mims as their fifth string receiver. They got to have someone else. That's who I would be targeting for a Collier trade.
0: Guys, I know we make jokes about this all the time, but it's absolutely horrifying seeing LJ Collier's like contract profile at age 26 going into his third year in the NFL. That's just really depressing. It was a bad pick. It
1: was a bad Jesus pick
2: that I made. Man. Yeah, look look we the two guys we just talked about were Two very predictable bad first round picks that turned out to be very bad.
1: Well, I mean, this is this is a product of what I think has been a really flawed draft philosophy from Schneider. You know, Jeff, you and I have talked about this a ton, but Schneider will he will look at a draft and where there's a deep position group, he will let it run off the board and go after the thinner position groups to make sure he gets what he needs you know, the, 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 the cream of a very thin crop, like, and so LJ Collier, I mean, you even hear him say like we wanted to get one of the pass rushers before they were gone. Like that is a, just, I think that is a super poor principle and I think it's bit them time and again, like they very well could have lost out on DK Metcalf with that draft philosophy. And they happened to, to go in and get him at the end. But imagine what we'd be saying if they didn't get DK Metcalf in the second round and they drafted LJ Collier in the first and you know some other dude in the second. Like, yeah. I, I think I think it is a it was a Tim Ruskell-esque pick, you know. Yeah, and it
2: reminded it, me a lot of Lawrence Jackson, Ruskell did draft.
1: Yeah. So all right. Collier, I think all of us are like, hey, if they can get any trade value, fine. Right now, I have him making the roster, um, but just barely. And I went back and forth between him and Kim Diche. I think Kim Diche being injured. And then I think Gino Atkins guys, like assuming he's available, I think they sign him after the first week of the season. And then I think they cut probably Collier. Like. I don't think you're going to cut Rasheem Green. I don't think you're going to cut Kerry Hyder Jr. or Brian Monet or Al Woods.
0: Brian, do you want to explain that? Why they'd sign him after the first week of the season? Go ahead. I was going to ask you if you wanted to explain it.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, so so I think um, for folks that don't know, uh, veteran contracts are guaranteed uh, for the full season if they're on the roster that first game, that first week. But if you sign them... After the first game of the season, their full season contracts are not guaranteed. So that's why you sometimes see this happen with the 2013 Seahawks where they cut Clinton McDonald (laughs) and miraculously were able to get him back. um, And uh, and he was a big part of that run. So um, it does happen. Um, It's possible Gino Atkins will get picked up by someone else before then, but he may just be like happy to wait and come back um, after that point. So, you guys want to talk 53-man roster or you want to talk this last
2: preseason
0: game? Jeff, where's your head at?
2: I think we should – I think we've been pretty down. I think we should talk about the preseason game first. That will lead into – because I think there was some pretty – I think, Brian, your whole mentality seemed to turn after watching that game.
1: It did. It did. I mean, there's a bunch of reasons for that. But before I – I've been talking a lot. I mean – what were your impressions? What were your takeaways from that game, Jeff?
2: Um, a drastic change from what we'd seen the first two games, but more importantly, I think there was three players—I'm going to say even two players—that one of the worst parts of just the first couple games is just no one was really flashing, other than like Rasheen Green or Kerhan, the right tackle. They just looked like they had a hopeless roster. But when you saw two guys, Marquise Blair on the first snap of the game, getting into the backfield. And a run stop, and then the touchdown. But seeing him and D. Eskridge, just their athletic ability, and just like their eye-popping talent compared to what we had watched those painful first two games where they just look dreadful. That just completely like was like a shot in the arm to me. Just seeing those two guys almost just move. They look athletically completely different to the other guys playing those positions. And Brian, I thought you said perfectly with your article this week, just like Ugo Amadi, very solid. Very reliable cover player, but watching what Blair can do is just as like a weapon, he is completely putting him and Jamal Adams in his defense at the same time. Like there's a lot of exciting things going on. And then you see what Eskridge can do compared to like a Freddie Swain. And we talked about the bottom of this group so much. Eskridge is just a completely different athlete from a speed perspective and from a route running perspective. You can see why they liked him so much. I don't know if he'll make it through the season. We, uh, we know his age and all the questions with him, but just seeing those two guys who we really haven't seen play much, completely, it was like a shot in the arm to the whole Seahawks team for me.
1: I mean, Evan, what what wins in the NFL? Like, it is twitchy, explosive, instinctive athletes that just jump off the screen. It is a Tyreek Hill that, like, yeah. everyone just it's like holy crap how do you deal with that guy it is you know a, a Jalen Ramsey or you know um you know the, these guys that just jump off the screen and you're like they're a handful
0: yeah they've
1: been a huge Marquise Blair fan and I'm telling you that guy I don't care who it was against the difference between him and the other guys that were on that field was the size of the football field it was a huge difference and I think that bodes really really well for how he's going to impact the season.
0: I think people forget that Blair has that like big hit swagger, like coming out of college. He was a, like there were plays people compared him to Cam chancellor. Like Mm -hmm. he is a bad ass blank on the field, delivering big hits, a big playmaker, you know, can take the ball away from the offense. But I think, um, I think, first of all, I think people need to prepare for the Blair show this year. I think, um, a lot of people were discouraged by his early injury last year in week two, week three, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, he didn't do much his rookie year, but it's very possible this guy, like, fast forward 16 or 17 weeks from now, I would not be surprised if we were talking about Blair. This is going to sound insane, but it's like one of the better defensive players on this football team. I
1: don't think that sounds insane.
0: It, it like- really, it really could be. Um,
1: do people remember last last preseason? The he was the guy, not that the press was talking about, sure, but every defensive player on the Seahawks was like, this dude is gonna blow up. And you know, he he didn't get a chance to make a huge impression the first couple of games. He looked fine, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I think there's a chance that he's he's like Jeff said, you pair him with a Jamal Adams and a healthy Jamal Adams and a Quandre Diggs and a defensive line that is so much deeper and more talented. And now you've got a Jordan Brooks, who also, I think, has looked great this preseason and looks like he's ready to take a big next step. And Bobby Wagner, I mean, now you start getting like you get big hits. You, you like you get turnovers and you just get plays that, that turn the game like that that got me super excited to to see the way he played um I think Cody Barton he's not going to be a starter I don't think there's a place for him to be a starter for people that don't understand that like Bobby Wagner's the inside backer you're not going to play him over Bobby Jordan Brooks is the other off-ball linebacker you're not going to play him over Jordan Brooks sorry those those guys are great um and you're not going to play him at Sam because it's an on the line of scrimmage position going up against the tight end every time. And Barton's really not that player. I think you could get away with it, but it's not his strength. He looks like a starting quality linebacker and that's good. Like look at the 49ers last year. I mean, they lost, they lost guys for certain periods of time and you had like Eli Greenlaw step in there and look great. And that was a big deal for them. Like having a good backup middle linebacker and off ball linebacker is a really good thing. And Cody Barton looks Looks like he's taking the next step. I mean, Evan, you were talking about him, you know, before we even started the show. Like, I mean, what's what's your take on, on where Cody Barton is?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of what we were just discussing before the show, honestly. It's not like some flashy take, but, like, he's a very capable backup if he continues on the path that he's currently on. I, I think we all expected when he was drafted to come in and, be a potential solid starter That just hasn't, he's entering his third year. Is that right? Uh, his third
1: year. Yes. This is,
0: uh, yes. Yes. I want to say third year. Yeah. yeah this is know. the best Same preseason. Yeah. This is the best preseason he's had best training camp he's had. Um, I don't really see a starting spot for him, but you know, like Brian, you said you could never have a good, good, you know, too many good enough players on this team. But I think the one defensive player we're not really talking about guys is Daryl Taylor.
1: Okay. What, what jumped out to you about, Daryl?
0: Twitchy, looked fast, got to the quarterback, created pressure, um, had a sack. I don't know if he had two sacks. I know he had one sack at least. Like, that is a player that if he steps in this year and can be disruptive, all of a sudden, I think the, the ceiling for this defense increases pretty significantly. He's one of those players with an incredibly high ceiling that I think if – um, you know, they can solidify him technique-wise because he's a little raw coming out of college, then it could be a big boost for this defense.
1: Yeah, what did you, what did you think of, of Taylor's preseason overall, Jeff?
2: I think he's flashed. I think he's got a lot to learn. I think there's going to be quite a big learning curve if he's going to be your Sam backer early on. I think as a pass rusher, you can see his quickness off the ball. I think he said it multiple times, and you saw last game, he needs to like flatten out his pass rushing. He keeps going around the quarterback, and last game we saw him do the proper move, and you saw how quickly he got into that backfield when he had that sack. that was There aren't a lot of people who can do what he did to do that sack. So I think there, you can see why the Seahawks liked him. You can see the athletic skills. I would, if I was running the team, I'd rather him just be a defensive end and then work him in, have him focus on that and then develop him as a linebacker later. But you can see what he does well and you can clearly see what he, he's going to struggle with. And that's point of attack stuff, playing the run, setting the edge. But man, if he, like what Evan said, there's a lot of different kinds. Of, I remember I used to talk about this with Brian a lot. When they were in the playoff, last time they won a playoff game, they, I think they played Green Bay. you look at a lot of guys who were on that defense there was not there was Clowney and there was bobby there was not a lot of fast ascending athletes on that team it was a lot of filler there was shaquille griffin and there was before that there was all kinds of guys delano hill and like rasheem green was maybe their most explosive edge rusher now you have jordan brooks you have daryl taylor You have Marquise Blair. You have Jamal Adams. You have a pretty good rotation at the D-line. Other than corner, you got Puna up the middle. Other than corner, which has all the questions we talked about, there's a lot of interesting athletes on this defense. And it's a pretty good turnaround considering how much they had to turn over the roster coming out of 2017, where we had years with Arcadius Mingo and just KJ was a little older. KJ was so sound, but Their athletic ability on defense to me is really exciting when you can get all these guys on the field.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think – I was thinking about, like, which are the guys that could really change the ceiling for the Seahawks season and which are the guys that could really take a huge step forward um, and become impact players. Jordan Brooks has got to be high on that list, right? Yeah. Like, he's a guy that – you just don't know exactly how good he can be, but he was pretty damn elite at college, you know, and 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 the way he impacted those games, and he looks like he's ready to take a step forward and not just be a good player out there, but be a, a game-changing player, It'd be a really big deal um, if he can be that good and not just good. Um, I think that we're seeing two guys at the same position that offer pass rush that's super interesting Alton Robinson is another guy that you have to talk about Mm -hmm. like every single time even last year as a rookie and now every time Alton Robinson steps on the field which for whatever reason he did not get as many chances as any of us would have wanted last year to do that well he always seemed to make plays so I mean, I think those two guys have a chance to really impact the team. And, and that's not even talking about, you know, Kerry Hyder, who you guys know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of um, and, and some of the other guys that are out there.
2: Well, and it's interesting. A lot of people were studying Denver last week because they played all their starters and there was a quarterback competition going on. So I know a lot of like film people and non seoc people were studying the Denver tape and I couldn't tell you how many people I saw tweet this or just talking around the league. They said the one thing watching the film of Denver was Jordan Brooks. And I've someone had like a five clip things where Jordan Brooks just made plays that like a lot of people just can't make. Like I remember we were comparing him to Patrick queen and we were all like going crazy about that. I think Brooks is like a tear up from queen already and he hasn't even hit his ceiling yet. So I was wrong about that pick and, Brian, yeah, I'm surprised you haven't even brought up Phil Haynes yet, who coming out of that preseason game, like there was some interesting stuff in that game.
1: Uh, I mean, we haven't switched over to offense. You brought you, you brought up Marcus Blair, and we had to talk about him for a little bit. D. Eskridge, we got to talk about D. Eskridge, and we'll definitely talk about Phil Haynes in the offensive line and, and center in general. I know Evan is dying to talk about his favorite player, who he's getting a jersey for now, Kyle Fuller, but that's that's a little bit later. Um. D Eskridge, like, I got to repeat this because it's going to keep coming up and over and over again. I actually rewatched our our draft day reaction when Jeff, you, Nathan, and I watched as they picked D Eskridge and we were all like hoping for Creed Humphrey to be the name or like Nathan wanted to trade back. And and I gave the the pick an F, which I knew was going to live in infamy no matter what. And I tried to explain it then and I explain it now. Nothing to do with D Eskridge had everything to do with position value and what I thought they could do with Creed Humphrey while I still think it was a huge freaking mistake to not take a center at that spot I'm excited I am thrilled about what I've seen from D.S. like he is just like you said about Marquise Blair he is a different class of athlete than anyone else they've got at receiver after obviously DK and Tyler right like Evan, like, is there any question about Freddie Swain or D. Eskridge in terms of who should be getting those snaps as the third receiver? No, not even close. I mean, I mean, actually, did you you did you get a chance to watch Eskridge's play it plays in that in that preseason game, Evan?
0: Yeah, I watched the game.
1: Okay, I didn't know, so so didn't want to assume. So, I mean, that end around was easy. It was nine yards it was easy and i don't even think that was like the idea that we're going to have that in the offense i don't know if you saw the, the play off of that a couple of plays later where he the ran horizontal it again, sweep they faked it and they handed mm. it off to alex collins who got like six or seven yards the other way. Mm. that's gonna be freaking difficult for defenses to deal with and I think they can do that with DK Metcalf at times. I think they can do that with Tyler Lockett. I think they can mix and match those guys. They're all capable of making plays with the ball in their hands. And that doesn't even, that wasn't even with Russell Wilson as the trigger man to make play action off of those plays and make throws. Like I think Eskridge is going to be potentially like a breakout star. Like I, like, you know, I, I think, I don't think that's crazy to say a lot of it has to do with whether he can stay healthy, but I mean, do you think that's crazy to say that, that we could be talking at the end of the season? Like Eskridge is like one of the top rookie receivers, uh, you know, in the NFL.
2: I don't think it's crazy. I think what makes him unique is that they are going to have a very specific role for him. That what I think it makes him really valuable is how well he's going to complement DK and Lockett. because the Seahawks don't have a dominant like space player. And if you looked at Eskridge film, that's what he was good. And there were some people who obviously he'll never hit this ceiling, but they they he came from the same conference. They thought he had some Antonio Brown in his game. Wow. And obviously, I don't think he'll ever hit close to that ceiling, but I just mean stylistically. In terms of like the way he separates and the way he is with the ball in his hands, obviously he's 24 years old and Antonio Brown is, was the best receiver in the NFL before things kind of went off the rails. But I mean, stylistically when you see what he can do speed wise, you can see how they, why they liked him and why Evan, Walt,
1: yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Finish Jeff. Sorry. No, no.
2: Why they thought he complimented and that's why they prioritized him.
1: Evan, you know how I like to get out of my skis. Cause it's fun. And, and, and I have to say, I don't know if you've heard Eskridge talk, but there's a couple of things that besides the plays he made on the field that I loved. So one, he's, he's bigger than I think people realize he's a former running back. And so he's got a little of like the golden Tate, like physicality to his potential that I think people think he's five, nine. So he's gotta be like, he's T H I C C. He's, he's part of the Thick Thigh Club, I think. I think the Thigh Talk is back. But he also, like, he's got swag. I mean, he he talked in his press conference multiple times about that he's an alpha. And he loved that, you know, D, he knows DK's an alpha. And he loves that DK, like, has recognized him as an alpha. I'm telling you, Doug Baldwin, Golden Tate, Sherman, they all talked about being alphas. Bobby, like, they all talk about that back in the day. I think it's a good sign when a player comes in and they identify themselves that way and they back it up. And then I love that after the game, someone was like, what does it take to be good at uh, an end around like a fly sweep like that? It's like, I don't know what it takes to be good, but I can tell you what it takes to be great. You got to be fast like me. Like the guy's got a ton of confidence and swag. And I think he's shown that the game kind of comes easy to him. Yes, only a snippet. But like, I think that when you can come into the NFL and have that confidence and feel like you can separate from NFL level athletes that quickly, that usually is a really, really good sign of what your potential trajectory can look like. God damn it. I'm getting excited about this football season. Yes. <laughs> I mean, imagine him running away from Fred Warner. Like, I imagine s- if this- that happens.
0: Guys, this offense could be really good. Yeah. We're not really talking about it. I know we're talking about individual players, but the one thing that stood out to me on Saturday Saturday night, Saturday night. Yes. Sometime over the weekend was that this offense looked different from a horizontal perspective, the routes, how they stretch the field. um, These are things that we, we saw throughout, you know, with shoddy and, uh, you know, Daryl Bevel, but it's, it's really a point of emphasis in, in sort of the Sean McVay led offenses. I think Shane Waldron could really solve some things we've been complaining about for like several years now. And he might be taking us to the promised land, folks. He might be. I might be getting a little bit excited about this.
1: I, I'm I'm there with you like that that that's part of what's just changed my tune a lot about the team is even with Geno Smith and Sean Mannion back there and with the backup offensive line we were seeing for the first time Jeff we were seeing the fly sweep we were seeing the play off like the counters off of the fly sweep we were seeing Swing passes to running backs in space where they could easily get six, seven yards without like a lot of thought and without a lot of time spent in the pocket. We were seeing screen plays. We were seeing like, I don't think it's any accident that the Seahawks had the fourth highest pass blocking grade of any team in the NFL in the preseason, which is crazy. They've never been that high. I don't think it's because all of a sudden their pass blocking is outstanding. I think that they're not having to pass block as long. And I think the fact that I don't think we can even conceive of what a Seahawks offense with Russell Wilson can look like where he's getting sacked less than 30 times in a season. Like, I don't think we, any of us can really wrap our heads around how this team can look removing all of those negative plays of five, 10, 15, 20 yards And forget the injury potential, right? So I'm super excited about that. And we didn't even see what DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett or Chris Carson, like Dwayne Brown, Gabe Jackson, like there's a lot to be like super intrigued by with what we saw.
2: Yeah, and that's why the hire made so much sense. And We we don't know how Waldron is a play caller, but I know, Brian, you were excited about this, but stylistically what the Rams did really well is they everything looked simple, but there was a lot of variations to it, which made pass protection easier. And their offensive line talent with Los Angeles got a lot worse, but they were able to pass protect well because they had the upper hand on defenses. They were able to get the ball off quick because they weren't sure what the play was going to be. And if you can do that for Russell, because how many, he's one of the league leaders in sacks every year. There's a, there was in the Schoenheimer offense, which was great vertically. There was a lot of long developing plays and the run game and the pass game never really tied together. And it was never really complimented. They did play action more last year. They threw more in early downs. That was great. That was progressive, but the run game always felt like a completely different offense than the past game, which is why there was such a war about it almost. Because you were, if you were running, you were almost taking away from the pass game rather than having it work together. And that's, again, what Shanahan does so well, and that's where this offense started. So just seeing how that one play where Eskridge opened up a run to Collins and seeing how they can do play action. And I know you were excited, but it's just that screen to Alex Collins early in the game when they lost yards, they had the penalty, and how much that completely changed their down and distance. They threw, I think you said, 11 passes to running backs. Yep. So this was a completely new look, and really it's been the thing—the biggest thing why we need Waldron to be good is they need to unlock that part of Russell's game because he doesn't take checkdowns, he holds on to the ball too long. If easy stuff is there and it's part of the play design, it can really help because I can't tell you how many drives it just feels like. Seattle starts off good, they get to the 50, and they have something stupid, a penalty or a lost play, they never recover. They punt inside the 50, and Evan goes crazy. If they can take that part out of their off that part out of their game every week and get more points, just an extra two drives of points, this can do wonders for this team.
1: Evan, I mean, <laughs> I think part of the reason we get so frustrated and like get so angry at this team is like you look at it, and you're like, they should be dominating teams. Like, Russell Wilson is a really good quarterback. Maybe one, like maybe one of the top three or four in the NFL. Like, I don't think that's crazy to say. He has that potential. He's so dangerous. He throws the best deep ball in the NFL. Like, amazing down the field. If you can combine that with just some simplicity, just some repeatable, simple plays that are short and intermediate that take the, the pass rush out of it, that make your offense more reliable, that reduces the amount of three and outs where it's like, oh my God, throw down field, running play for two yards and then no third down. If you just get rid of some of those and have more third and shorts that are convertible or more, less third downs in general, like they are full of Ferraris in the, in the garage. Like they've got maybe, DK Metcalf could end up being the best receiver in the whole league. Like, he
0: absolutely has that potential.
1: Chris Carson's great.
0: Like, Let's go through Seattle's offense for a second. You've got yeah. Russell Wilson, Chris Carson, Dwayne Brown. Uh, I think Damian Lewis is starting on the right side. Yep. Is left that right? Side. Left, left side. side. Or sorry, Dwayne. on the left side. Yeah. You've got – actually, we're not going to talk about center for a second. We've got <laughs> Gabe Jackson and Brandon Shell, who was a stud last year. Gabe Jackson yeah. is also a stud. you have got DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. Um, ds gridge that wide receiver three and gerald everett is 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 that the best offense in the nfl from a talent perspective
2: up there tampa It's creeping. up there
0: i mean it's hard to it,
1: it depends on like if you're talking you know entire Are they at group. minimum
0: top three
1: yeah I, I don't think there's a way I'd say it is I don't think that there's a point where you say like, there's a real weakness on a skill position. perspective. Like
0: This offense should dominate this year. I want to see them put up 40 plus on the Rams. I
2: That's
0: want to so see Jalen Ramsey become DK Metcalf's personal bitch. That's what I want to see.
1: I think All that, right. I think the matchup between DK Metcalf and Jalen Ramsey is one that, by itself has a huge impact on, on the
0: I situation. want to see Jalen Ramsey holding DK Metcalf's pocket as he ex- exits the freaking locker room. That's what I want. That's you what want I want to see. I want I want this offense yeah. to have an alpha type personality. That's what I want. I want that. I want the Legion of Boom, but on the offense.
1: Jeff, is it I mean, this is this is a, uh, you know, pushing the, the I was never a big Todd Gurley fan. I'll just put that out there. I think Todd Gurley was fine, but I never thought he was special. I think Chris Carson is a more talented back than Todd Gurley. Tell me, tell me what, tell me, I'm guessing you disagree. Tell me why, like what would it be about Todd? What is Todd Gurley back when he was healthy? What did he do better than what Chris Carson does?
2: Pass catching. Peak Todd Gurley. Yeah, peak Todd Gurley was one of the best Pass catching running backs in the league. And he was so good in space. And they just ran a lot of their off. He was their main weapon on offense. And just in terms of like yards after contact, Carson's right there. But Gurley was so good with the ball in his hands in space on like a screen play, third and 10. Carson's still developing that. Carson has the skill set to do it. Because when Gurley was in peak form at Georgia in early years, he was so dominant that.
1: Let's, let's uh, put a pin in that and get back at the end of the season. I, I, I'm not afraid to put that out there. I, I think Chris Carson in this offense could put up numbers. Um, the level of what Todd Gurley did. Um, so, but let's, okay. We, we, we avoided it a lot. We've talked all the good things. Center's a, a shit show. Um, Kyle Fuller, good run blocker, had some good run blocks in this game uh once again had a pass blocking grade from pff under 30 and this is not unique he has consistently been a shit show as a pass blocker it sounds like he's going to be the starter ethan Posick is coming back ethan Posick is no one that any of us are super excited about either right meanwhile phil haynes i mean You guys give me shit all the time about Phil Haynes and being on the Phil Haynes bandwagon. And who knows? We'll see. But he ends preseason as the third highest rated pass blocking offensive lineman, tackle, center, guard, any of them in the NFL. Third highest grade, 85, I think an 85 pass blocking grade. Gave up zero pressures in 73 pass blocking snaps this preseason. Zero. This is a guy that had upside. This is a guy that Dwayne Brown was talking up after like three OTA practices or, you know, whatever it was as a pleasant surprise. And a guy that played his first NFL game in a divisional round matchup in Green Bay in the playoffs and held his own against a very good defensive line in Green Bay. So, uh, Jeff, it's just this drives me nuts. Like it drives me nuts. It seems so obvious to me. Like, why would they not be, they've had Phil Haynes snapping. Why not even open it up for him while Ethan Posick's been out of like being a guy that can compete with Kyle Fuller at the center spot. Like imagine how differently we'd feel about this line. If Phil Haynes was stepping in at center.
2: Yeah. I'm completely dumbfounded by it because it seems like Pete just every year we're like they gotta play this one guy more, and Pete can't seem to figure it out. And you, everyone who's watched the show, probably remembers my opinion of Brandon Jackson. Kyle Fuller to me is the offensive Brandon Jackson, where he just like does the right thing. He does he's he's situationally sound, but just has zero ceiling as a player. He's just a low feel, low ceiling and low floor player, which to me is the worst. And Fuller reminds me of that, so I can't understand what I'm missing here because we saw him play Aaron Donald last year in that road game, and it was an absolute mess. We've seen him play in the preseason against – they didn't play one type A. Like, I think Bradley Chubb played for but nothing in the middle that resembled a type A kind of player game record. They got to play him against DeForest Buckner week one. So – I'm terrified of that position. He reminds me of Brandon Jackson. I don't know what I'm missing here because he just looks like a practice squad level player. Like Postick at least was league average for a while last year. He can be a stopgap. We saw what he did well and what he needed to work on, but we were excited that he was an upgrade over what they had had in the past, but Fuller, I don't know. And you, yeah, we joke with you about Haynes because he's played like two games in three years, but he <laughs> isn't wrong. Like he looks like a sound offensive lineman who's physical, who's most importantly, he's just a technician and he's got power. Like you saw him blow guys up off the line. And if their whole thing was to get their best five linemen on the field, I used to yes. do their thing to me. This is a no brainer. Like, The ceiling of Haynes versus Fuller, Fuller, you're just hoping doesn't screw up. I think Haynes could be a good – like if Gabe Jackson got hurt and Haynes started, I think they'd be fine. But to have all three of them – and Damian Lewis is a guy I think is going to have a monster year. I think he's going to jump off the page this year. So if you have Lewis, Haynes, and Jackson in the middle of your offensive line, that's by far the best group they've had since the Super Bowl years.
1: Yeah, Evan, I know how excited you are about Kyle Fuller. So I know this is a, is a tough conversation for you because you, you've been standing Kyle Fuller all preseason. Um, but seriously, the, the, some of the debate happening on CX Twitter is, do you shift Damian Lewis to center because he has started an NFL game at center and play Haynes at guard? I personally would rather keep Lewis where he is and play Haynes at center, which doesn't sound like an option right now, but, um, between those two choices, if they were choices, do you have a
0: preference? Absolutely. You keep Damian Lewis at right guard. You do not take him left out guard. or at left guard at the position of development that he's been focused on for the past couple of years. There are players and options available at center. Austin Ryder, for example, is still a free agent. There are players you can trade for at center. The Titan Center was released today. There are tons of options they can make at center. What what disgusts me most about the whole off-season approach to center is not even related to really Ethan Posick outside of – let me put it this way. So Ethan Posick was injured for all of training camp. Okay. So who was Kyle Fuller competing against for the position? Nobody. Exactly.
1: Brad Lundblade. Yeah. I'll
0: Nobody realistically him. was brought in. He was handed the he was handed the spot. He did not compete for his position. That's my biggest problem: is they didn't even bring anybody in to seriously compete with him. So Pete, Pete can hand him the job, but uh, this is going to be a predictably bad disaster.
1: Well, let's 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 play this game for a second. I mean, I really wanted Creed Humphrey last year or like in the draft. That's who I wanted them to pick. And Creed Humphrey looks like he's going to be a good center, maybe a great center. Like, but that means you don't get Eskridge. So if you could right now, if you could snap your fingers, I want to hear from both of you on this. If you could snap your fingers and have Creed Humphrey as your starting center, but not have D Eskridge, And instead, you're depending on the Penny Hearts and the Freddie Swains and maybe a later draft pick that's a receiver. Who knows? Which do you think would get you more confident in the Seahawks' ability to be great this year? Evan? I don't understand your snaps.
0: I'm snapping. The magic is occurring. Creed Humphrey is Seattle's starting center.
1: That's what you do? Without question. Jeff?
2: Yeah, no, no, no brainer. Creed Humphrey to me raises the ceiling more than a third. And I, again, if you watch the reaction of when the draft pick happened, I said, I like DS Eskridge. I think he's a good player, but I thought Creed Humphrey was a first round pick. I was stunned. He was even available in like everything I read. I thought he was going to go into the first round early second at the latest. I thought you had something fall in your lap. And to me, a good offensive lineman raises your ceiling a lot higher than a third receiver.
1: Yeah. Ironically, it's it's a little tougher for me just because I think Eskridge looks so great. But I do think that you can get a closer approximation to what he'd give you in a penny heart than you can to what Kyle Fuller is going to give you at center. And. The thing that's so friggin' aggravating is if Phil Haynes was the guy that they really put in to give a chance at center, then you could potentially be looking like a genius. You'd be like, okay, we've got an up and coming, great pass blocking, great run blocking center, young line um, at, at certain positions. And you also have Eskridge, right? Like and you could have it, you could have it, but for whatever reason, I think we all just have to hope that Kyle Fuller is better than we're giving him credit for.
0: Should Seattle make a trade for center before the season starts?
2: Well, I was wondering, Creed Humphrey's backup is Austin Blythe, who was the Ram center. They signed Blythe probably not thinking they would have a chance at Creed Humphrey because no one thought Creed Humphrey would go to the end of the second round. I'm wondering if that's possible. It's not exciting.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's one of the only guys that makes some sense, Jeff, in that he would know the Rams' offense and could slide in. I think getting some other center to come in and pick up all the line calls and, yeah. I mean, you can get a veteran to do it, but, like, I'm not a believer that the guys sitting out there on that are street-free agents right now are worth going after. And the guy, I mean, we just saw the – it was Dolphins or – Someone else cut yeah, the Dolphins. Skura was that his name? Like no. the the former Raven starting center. He's no good. Like I don't want them to go get him. I just want them. To, I just want them to put a, a better player in that in that position. That's already on the roster. Oh God. Yeah. For those that are listening and not watching, Evan has changed his background image to the. uh
0: Look at this wonderful man. The cherubic
1: center. Look at look at himself. this big boy. I lust after him. Evan would love to have that guy. I mean,
0: Creed, look, any man who's named Creed.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys are preaching to the choir. I mean, that's that's why I was so frustrated last uh, during the draft. I mean, I just they could not have asked the draft to fall any better to them. They had their pick of the centers and um, thumb the nose at them, but. I don't know. Like with all that we were, we were super bullish. We haven't even talked about like Colby Parkinson cause he didn't play in the preseason, but he was looking like he's going to be a, a game changer. Um, I even thought Penny Hart looked good in that game and he's had a great preseason. So there's a lot with Alex Collins. I think we all were really excited, what we saw there like a lot of good stuff. How much can Kyle Fuller mess this up? Like, How concerned are you
0: about Kyle Fuller? Do you guys remember watching Aaron Donald rush Joey Hunt? Do you guys remember that?
2: I remember a lot of people rushing
0: Joey Hunt. Do you remember what that looked like? Joey Hunt literally falling over on his back.
1: Yeah, Joey Hunt, who may be the starting center for the Colts come week
0: one. I don't want to talk about it.
1: No, that's because Ryan Kelly could be on the COVID
0: list. I know. It's just crazy. Um, Good centers are underrated. I know Brian and you and I share this opinion, but like it's a position a lot of people forget about just because they're typically never one-on-one they're, you know, helping the guards typically with stunts and, and similar, but a bad center can really wreak havoc on your offense. It really can. And, I'm just worried about Kyle. Like, let's say Kyle Fuller goes down and uh, Ethan Posick is still hurt. Who's starting?
1: Phil Haynes, baby. Oh, Jesus Christ. They are having him snap for a reason. Like, he is is in the list.
0: If Uh, Phil Haynes is that good, why is he not starting in center? That's what we've just been asking. But that's my point. Like, why is he not starting then?
1: We've had that question about a number of players for the Seahawks that have clearly been better than their options and not been used. I mean,
2: well, Evan, remember
1: always making the best choice.
2: There was a lot of Tedrick Thompson and Delano Hill over Marcus Blair uh, that drove Evan crazy. Is that the conversation we're going to be having all year again? Yeah. I, I, Every year we come out and Pete at the end of the year was like, well, I really should have played this guy more. And everyone on Seahawks Twitter was like asking them to play him in like week one. Pete's like, well, studying the film, I realized uh, Tedra Thompson sucks. And I shouldn't have played him 16
0: straight weeks. I have never hated, <laughs> but simultaneously loved something so much in my life.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will never forget. I mean, when I was doing the roster today and I looked at some of the keeps at safety, I mean, we were talking about Leno Hill just last year, uh, like Tedra Thompson, like those guys were brutal. I mean, brutal, brutal. Um, so yeah, they've definitely stuck with players that they shouldn't stick with. And I'm gonna keep standing Phil Haynes. I think, I thought that Jamarco Jones should be getting chances at right tackle. Like thankfully Brandon Shell has worked out, but I think Jamarco Jones, yes. He had a bad snap where he had the wrong snap count, or something got messed up. But guess what? What people don't realize, because everyone focused on that one snap, the rest of the game he was nails. In fact, he had a great path blocking grade in that in, the, in this last preseason game. But no one knows that because he had one bad snap to start the game. But yeah, I don't know. I I, I think um, I'm almost hoping that Fuller stubs a toe and haynes gets a, a a chance and then the coaches are like wow he is pretty good we should just keep this going um so i know we've been at it for a while i do want to talk about potential surprise cuts can we can we uh can we Ooh, talk about that i
2: like this topic you probably yeah transition into your roster projection
1: <laughs> yeah well so Do you want how do you think we should go about it, Jeff? Like, what's the best way to to talk about it? You have an idea?
2: Maybe the biggest decisions they have to make.
1: Okay. So let's do this. Um running back, we've already talked about. I think that they should keep five. Um, those five are Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, Alex Collins, Travis Homer, DJ Dallas. I don't, is there any disagreement
2: there? Like, I wouldn't care if Travis Homer got cut, but
1: oh, you and I
2: both brother. Yeah, I, I just think
1: it's clear that Chris, that that the coaching staff sees him differently and he is a core special teams player. Yeah. I just, yeah. as much as fans are like cut Travis Homer, I, I'd be fine with that, but they're not going to do that.
2: No, I, I view him the same way I described Kyle Fuller and Brandon Jackson. I think he's a low ceiling, low floor player.
1: Yeah. Yep. Agreed. Wide receiver. I don't know if you feel like this is... I don't think there's a big decision to make there. I think they only keep five. And I don't think Cody Thompson, Aaron Fuller, you and I talked about this. There's no one else that's a tough choice, right? So
2: I think the only thing becomes interesting if if someone hits the waiver wire.
1: Right. Tight end, this one's a little wonky, right? And everyone knows Will Disley, Gerald Everett make it. What some people don't know is Colby Parkinson, even though he's injured, he can't be placed on PUP. So, because you have to start training camp on the PUP list. He got injured during training camp, so he can't be PUP. He can be put on the injured list, but that means he's out for three weeks. And it sounds like there's some question about maybe even he could be available week one. There's, there's debates, or at least it's a, it's in. So I think putting him on IR seems a little bit conservative. Maybe they do it to save a roster spot. Um, I think Tyler Mayberry makes it. Nobody knows much about him other than, I mean, I've just, from players and coaches I think they think pretty highly of him he played in this last game he's a he is a blocker he is like a uh what's a good you know like he's kind of like a Zach Miller type except you know less of a receiver so like he's just a strong Ryan Hannum.
2: <laughs> Ryan
1: Hannum, yeah yeah I think he's a little stouter than Hannum but <laughs> but Hannum was the key so I think they keep those four tight ends um, but then offensive line. This is where I think it gets really interesting. Cedric Abbuhi. This was a guy that I think all of us and everyone probably even now assume was a lock. But I'm interested what you guys think here. So we know Dwayne Brown makes it. Let's just talk tackles for a second. Dwayne Brown definitely makes it. Brandon Shell definitely makes it. That's two. Jamarco Jones definitely makes it. That's three. I think Stone Forsythe definitely makes it. Great, like there were questions about whether he was too tall to be a, a run blocker, but they thought he was a good pass blocker. He had a great run blocking grade in preseason. I just don't think you can you can let him go. He played well last game. He did. So that's that's four tackles. That's already like usually enough. Like you don't necessarily need more. I think that Jake Kerhan, who's the undrafted free agent out of Cal multi-year, I think he was a four-year starter there. They played him at right tackle and they played him at left tackle. I think they initially were thinking about him as guard. I have him above a, a Boyhe. I think Abuehi doesn't make this squad. I'm curious if, if you guys like, this is a guy that, they, they they were hoping a way he was gonna battle with Brandon Shell for the right tackle spot. They were pretty high on him. Pete said they didn't give him enough chances last year and he's a lot better. He did play pretty well, other than the first game against Philly, which he was awful, awful. What do you guys think that they're going to do, like, tackle-wise? Um, Forsythe, you guys agree. Curhan and Abwehi, do you have an opinion there?
0: I don't think they would cut Cedric. Okay. Why? They just extended him, like, from a contractual perspective it really wouldn't make a ton of sets. Um, I they think did they use would... a
1: void year on him. From what I understand, it would be $350,000 yeah, if they cut him.
0: You're right. Is any of that base salary guaranteed? Do we know?
1: You would know better
2: than I would. <laughs> I mean... I'm going to go the other way. Yeah, I think building a roster and you can have a rookie undrafted free agent for four years versus a one-year player who's almost 30 years old mm-hmm. and if they're at the same level you got to take the rookie because you're risking losing a guy you might have for four years at dirt cheap and who showed something versus if Jamarco Jones can fill in a right tackle I think you're just I don't think that's a smart way to build a roster that's how you end up with holes the next year
1: well and guy Brandon Shell is not a on long, a long-term deal
2: Oh, no, last year was it year. Is,
1: exactly. So, I mean, right tackle is a position you've got to be planning for. We talk about left tackle with Dwayne Brown. Right tackle is a question mark in the future as well. I think having two guys, having a Curran who's potentially waiting in the wings at right tackle, you've got Jamarco Jones and, and Forsyth, who could be your left tackles in training. Like, I think it makes a bunch of sense. Um, but I think it would be a, I think it'd be a surprise for a lot of people if, if uh, a boy, he, um, doesn't make the team. The other guy that I don't have making the team right now is Jordan Simmons. Uh, I mean, from a, a guard position perspective, you've got Damian Lewis, you got Gabe Jackson, obviously they're going to make it. Um, Phil Haynes, I think is close to a lock to make it. That's three. Um, and then Ethan Posick, if he's a backup, he actually can play guard. So that's four guards.
2: Plus Jones and Curran.
1: And Jones also has played guard. Curran, I think they actually were playing at guard, but ended up moving to tackle. So I think they already think he can play guard. So again, Abuayhi does not play guard. So I think that's another point in the favor of Curran. Um, that was pretty exciting. If, I mean, Curran actually graded out pretty well, he's played both left and right tackle, he's played guard like, that could be a pretty good story. Undrafted a free agent for the Seahawks. Uh, played in a you know power power conference and uh multi-year starter. They could have found could find a diamond there. Uh, we talked about defensive line. Um, obvious ones that are gonna make it Carlos Dunlap, Puna Ford, Al Woods, Brian Monet, Benson Mayoa, Kerry Hyder Jr., Rasheem Green. Those guys are obvious. Um LJ Collier and Camdiche, we talked about, I think Jeff, you and I are on the same, I think we're in the same boat. I would rather them keep, keep a guy like Camdiche than Collier. I think they're more likely to keep Collier. So I have them cutting Camdiche. Um Wow. I'm kind of surprised to hear that actually. He hasn't played. And I think they have more invested in Collier than they do in him. Uh, I think he has higher upside than Collier for sure, but yeah, I mean, you could see your expectation. So tomorrow, Evan, your expectation is what that they're going to cut Collier.
0: No, I think they keep him. Yeah, I'm not saying it's the right move. I'm yeah, just I would, I,
2: think. I would rather the other way, but I think the injury makes it much more likely that Collier makes it. And they say, sorry, you can stay healthy. We would have liked to see. That's
1: that, that. That's where I am as well. Um. And then I mean those are the big questions. And then I think you get into cornerback.
0: And, and I ask you one real quick question yeah. on the defensive line? We haven't talked a ton about ba- a ton about him. But um and I and I don't think he's gonna be cut. But what are your guys' expectations for Kerry Hyder this year? <laughs> Brian, you wanna handle this one? I mean did I miss a conversation
1: or something? No, no oh, I mean just laughing because I've been a Kerry Hyder promoter skeptic. For- Oh. No, like oh, well, he's huge... like the
2: Heider super fan. I've I didn't know two... that.
1: Yeah, I I I'm a huge proponent of Kerry Hyder. In fact, I'm going to bring up his pressure stats again to make sure I get these right. But
0: did you hear um... his teammates are impressed with him, Brian? What's that? His teammates are impressed with him.
1: They should be. Yeah, I mean, he is he is a high high effort player. He's not. No one's going to look at Kerry Hyder and be like, "Oh, dude." this guy's an intimidating athlete. Like he's short and stubby and he's not particularly fast or twitchy. He is like a high effort player, which I usually am not a huge fan of, but the guy has quick get off and he is relentless and he makes plays. He splits double teams. He tracks people down. And last year he had 55 pressures, 55. And that would have been, I believe, second on the Seahawks I'll have to pull it up here to make sure let me pull up Seahawks but um, and that's not the first time I was like oh that was just you know that was just last year he's not that kind of player he had 55 pressures three years ago too for Detroit like it's not something that he doesn't do and I think he should be the starting five tech like um, you know opposite of of Carlos Dunlap And let me just pull up real quick. Yeah. You want to know who who had the most pressures on the Seahawks last year? You guys are going to love this name. You want to guess before I tell you? Most pressures on the Seahawks last year. Uh, Sacks plus hits plus hurries. Jamal? Probably is. Nope. Top two players last year in pressures... They're not named Carlos Dunlap, uh, not named Jamal Adams. Mayoa? Jaron Reed is number one with 41. Benson Mayoa is number two with 36. Kerry Hyder had 55. And I just want to double check, he had 437 pass rush snaps. So he did 55 pressures and 437 pass rush snaps. Jaron Reed, it took him 605 snaps to get 41 pressures. So a un- couple hundred more snaps, 14 less pressures.
0: Ryan, where's Puna in there?
1: Puna is fifth on the Seahawks. He had 28 pressures and 430 pass for snaps.
0: Okay.
1: He did come on toward the end of the season. He was playing
0: a nose
2: tackle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So I just think people are totally sleeping on, on um, Kerry Hyder. And if I look in the preseason this year, I mean, he got some snaps. You know, he was good for a few pressures in every game. He's he had a sack in in the Chargers game. Like he's just good for getting at the quarterback. So, yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan.
2: I almost feel like Dunlap is like falling completely under the radar. Like we haven't seen it's, him. We haven't heard anything about him.
0: We just expect him to be good.
2: I know it's just kind of <laughs> weird. Like his name never gets mentioned.
1: What's your <laughs> expectation for Dunlap? Uh, for me, like I'm expecting over like over ten sacks this year.
2: I think just he'll make a few plays a game that he just has athletic abilities with his size and length that other people just can't. There was one play in that Washington game last year where he ended up like jumping the snap count and like doing a somersault and tackling Dwayne Haskins and. There just aren't a lot of people who are six eight that can move like that. So he's not, like, the most down-to-down pressure player like some of these other guys, but he just makes plays that athletically just looks different than every other player on their edge group.
1: Well, and I think Puna Ford is also, like, super underrated. Like, and I'm going to pull up some grades here, but, like, um, if I just go over the the last part of the season um when he started playing three tech instead of just playing nose um i don't know exactly when that started but i remember looking at it and uh da, 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 da. Let's see if i can find this well i just know that Pune ford was um started jumping to the top 10 of defensive tackles in the NFL over the last part of the season, um, including as a pass rusher. So I think he's another guy that people are sleeping on a little bit um, because he, he was a different, played a different position last year. Uh, Yeah. It's taking me too long to pull this all together, but I know, (laughs) I know I found it last year. So. Um, All right. So. Otherwise, like, we talked about corner. The only other question I've got is whether, like, Ashari Crosswell makes it, whether Ryan Neal gets cut. Not cut, sorry, put on
0: IR. Um, What's Neal's injury status?
1: I don't know, Jeff. Do you have have that?
2: I don't know off the top of my head either. Like, how severe was? It didn't seem major,
0: but. Wasn't it just like a thigh issue or something? Or, or am I hallucinating? I can't even remember. Yeah. The BBK injury kind of sucks. Why? I like the dude. <laughs> I don't think he's particularly good. I yeah, just Belor, felt bad.
2: Belor's kind of crazy what he's doing. Like Ballor is like an animal linebacker. He really
0: is. Yeah, yeah. he looks really good. The one-time versatility has ever worked out for the Seahawks.
2: Yeah, like he can play five positions.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, he's your thank you for mentioning a that. Pro Bowl special teamer, right? Yeah, he was your fullback, and he looks like—I mean, he looked—he looked like a legitimate backup linebacker, like. Really good tackler, picking the right holes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not convinced he's a downgrade from BBK. Yeah. So, look, we've been going at this for 90 minutes now. Um I mean, are there any other surprise cuts that you guys see that we haven't talked about? If, if the Seahawks, like... Make a trade or, or you know, anything else that you have in mind?
0: I don't know about a surprise cut, but I could see Rasheem Green being traded tomorrow.
1: Interesting. Why? I've heard some people mention that a little bit. I don't quite see it. So, so tell me what you see.
0: I just think that defensive line has more depth than uh, um, most people realize. And I think there's a lot of bodies there and he just really hasn't lived up to his potential here. I think you might be able to get... Am I insane to say that you could maybe get, like, a fifth-round pick for Ashim Green?
1: Well, he was a second, wasn't he? And he's...
0: Fourth or fifth, very maybe? young. Super young. young. Yeah. yeah, but very raw at the same yeah. time, right? I don't think I'd
1: trade him for a fifth-round pick.
0: You don't think so.
1: I wouldn't.
2: Would you, Jeff? Not really. You're not really. I don't really see the value in that.
1: I mean, I could see it happening. Interesting. I, I mean, rather third rounder. Like third rounder. By the way, not a second round. He was a third rounder. Yeah.
2: Okay. If you're gonna trade him. I'd rather try to get a player. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's there's enough people that need a a, a defensive lineman. I, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but. I'd want to see another corner. Movie it's less,
0: heard. it's less that I want them to, and it's more like, he's got a weird vibe that yeah. he's not gonna be there tomorrow. I'm probably wrong, but
1: no, I think that's it's it's a poss- it's, it's definitely a possibility. It's not
2: like I said earlier. Greg Bell was seen to indicate he thinks Trey Flowers might get cut.
0: You know, I'm down on Trey, but that would be kind of surprising.
2: Yeah, because then who's the backup right corner? And DJ Reed hasn't even been healthy.
0: Like Trey Flowers isn't good, but he's not not so good that
2: you. Come. No, he's, if he's your fourth cornerback, that's fine.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: If he's your second, you're you're fucked. Like, yeah,
1: I'm like, I'm kind of curious about this. Um i just didn't i didn't think i did not think trey was that bad this preseason to be honest and i've been as hard on him as anybody uh yeah i don't know I, i think that'd be a real mistake but whatever um sorry i'm looking around seeing if i can find any any other info but um yeah i I think it's gonna be. I think Abwehi to me is probably the biggest. Could be the the biggest name, which is not a huge name. Collier would be the other guy. Um, otherwise, like, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know that that. that uh, especially with the Sydney Jones trade, like, I definitely like the way the roster plays out better with Sydney Jones on that cornerback list. I mean, <laughs> I like it a lot better uh, with, with his name on there. So um, Jeff, one last question before we kind of wrap it up. You had said you were hoping that they might get a receiver. Um, what kind of receiver are you looking for? Like who, it, you know, assuming that you've got Metcalf and, and Lockett and Eskridge, um, are you hoping someone like takes Swain's snaps or or what are you thinking?
2: Thinking more of a big body outside receiver that if Metcalf did get hurt or Lockett did get hurt. I would like to see someone who can step in and be more of the outside receiver. So Eskridge can stay in his role and you're not having to play Freddie Swain as a starter. I think Swain's fine, but to me, if there's one injury in the top two, yeah, Eskridge helps, but. I think I would like to see a more capable outside receiver backup. I don't think, I think Penny Hart fills in as a great backup for Eskridge. I think Swain can sort of fill that role in a pinch, but if DK gets hurt, we are starting what Lockett, Eskridge and Swain. Mm -hmm. I'd like, I would rather someone who could be that outside and not Cody Thompson.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 I, I, I get that. Um, interesting. Okay. All right, guys, anything else that, uh, that we have not covered that we should, before we, uh, wrap this bad boy up.
0: I just can't believe the next game that we're playing is like a real actual football game.
1: Well, you yeah. want to say for a second about the Colts? I mean, what's going on with the Colts? A <laughs> lot.
0: Yeah. So Carson Wentz, uh, so is it Ryan we'll, Kelly? We'll start up. Uh, They're
2: one of the least vaccinated teams in the league. And I know their GM and coach have been very upset about it.
0: What's their percentage of vaccination?
2: I don't Do you know. know that. So far they've had. Yeah. Carson Wentz, their quarterback had a foot surgery. Now he's on the COVID list. Quentin Nelson just came off the COVID list. Ryan Kelly's their pro bowl center. He's on the COVID list. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, There's rumors that Darius Leonard, who's their best defensive player is not vaccinated. And the Colts have a very, they're a very small market team and their media is very Colt friendly and very player friendly. The message is turning really sour just about the vaccination stuff. And they're setting themselves up for failure with a pretty good team because the players aren't vaccinated. A lot of their core players don't seem to be vaccinated and things are starting to unravel. And T.Y. Hilton had a neck injury this week. On top of that, kind of had an off season from hell. So, we don't know if Wentz is going to play in the opener. We don't know if Kevin Nelson's going to play. We don't know if Ryan Kelly's going to play.
0: Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Is Carson Wentz vaccinated? No. Openly, no.
2: I, yeah, I believe he was wearing a mask in his press conference. And like, there was an article from one of their equivalent of like a Bob Condona just saying that he's a bad teammate and he's putting the team up in the air because he won't get the needle. I don't know. Like, he was, I think Jesus. it's pretty. Yeah.
0: Well, I think we saw the tweet from a beat report today that they have to quarantine for 10 days if they're positive, I think. So the game is 12 days away. Um, we're kind of at the point here, guys, where if a player gets, you know, a close contact or a positive, um, it impacts the regular season and availability for games. So this is where, You know, being vaccinated is a legitimate competitive advantage and where we have to give credit to the Seahawks for doing such a strong job. I think they're at 99% or like minus one one player. There's
1: one player at last we heard that was not vaccinated. We don't know which one. And
0: Tyler, please get vaccinated. What's that? Tyler, please go get your ass vaccinated. Sorry. Continue. (laughs)
1: I think the Seahawks were the only team in the NFL that didn't have any positive COVID tests last year. Yeah. They, they were like that. That's not nothing guys. Like the big that, deal. That's hard. Yeah.
0: <laughs> tough. They're kicking butt on this whole, you know, pandemic thing. Pete Carroll deserves credit for that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. So we should talk about what's coming up. So tomorrow night, we're going to be here again, um, except we're going to hopefully the, the the official deadline is 1 p.m. Pacific time tomorrow. The teams have to turn in their roster, their final rosters. Usually what happens is you get some leaks ahead of that time of individual players, but they're always like the obvious. We already saw like that you know, Roberson or whatever his name is, the receiver is going to be cut. Well, no shit um there'll be other guys like that the agents or whatever will beat writers will start sharing out but you don't get the full list until the team puts out their pr announcement with the official rosters the seahawks seem to always be like the last team to do it usually two or three hours at at a minimum after the deadline but we're going to have a show tomorrow night where we will react to the roster as it stands um usually part of the reason the Seahawks are late is because they're making trades and they're making like IR decisions and things like that. So we will do as best we can. We're going to be, you know, hopefully late enough that we'll be able to give you a complete reaction to to decisions going to be made. And then Wednesday is fun. Wednesday is our prediction show. Uh, We have the whole group, the whole podcast crew, uh, whole Hawk Blogger crew, whole Real Hawk Talk crew has filled out. A bunch of predictions, both scheduled predictions for win-loss records, when the season's going to end for the team, but also things like, you know, how many field goals Jason Myers is going to miss. And uh, Evan's got a particularly strong point of view on that one. Um, How many, you know, receiving yards DK Metcalf's going to have this year. Uh, so we'll go through all that Wednesday. It'd be fun. Um, get the crew together and go through that. So we're three days in a row. Um, you're going to get extra real Hawk talk this week, which I know
0: everyone's excited about. And the best, I just say one thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Of course.
0: The last time Jason Myers missed a regular season field goal was literally years ago, literally years ago. That's an accurate statement. Yeah, yeah. I just, want to, I just want to make sure that hits home. I know. In I'm your soul. Like
1: a 60-yard field goal last year. Yeah, you're you're yeah. playing with
2: fire now.
0: Nathan Ernst shitting on that contract from day one.
2: <sighs> I can't believe Dana said such mean things in that. Uh...
0: <laughs> yes. I like I'm actually it. happy for that kid, though, because, like, there was a ton of criticism with that contract, and he had a rough first year, so. It still is a bad contract,
1: but but I'm glad he's outperformed it. So, um, yes, we will do the prediction show. Uh, with three straight nights. There may be more moves. You're gonna want to know um, when we're on talking about it. So click subscribe. We're trying to get it to 10,000 subscribers on the YouTube channel this year. We're at like just under seven right now. Like, please click subscribe. Click the uh, like for the show if you haven't already. It takes like a second. Just click it, uh, and then um, click the bell to get notified when we go live. Um, always big news to, to react to and patreon.com slash hawkblogger uh, sign up now get immediate access to our Slack channel, which has been hopping and bopping with all the news. As soon as the Sydney Jones <laughs> news came out, that Slack channel just started, uh, started up and a lot of good information getting traded around there. So join the community and help us, you know, raise money for a good cause. So, uh, great seeing y'all tonight. Looking forward to seeing you the next couple of nights. Tons of fun hawk stuff to talk about. And guys, like there's reason to feel like this team may be, maybe worth getting excited about. I don't know. It's 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 in that mode where I feel like it's it's a little bit on a knife's edge. And the first few weeks of the season are gonna tell us so much about this team. Um it's gonna be cool. It's going to be cool. We're going to be there with you the whole way. So with that, take care. Have a good night. Go Hawks.